Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. So today is the Sunday of temptation, like we were saying um, in the introduction to the readings. And um, uh, as we prepare ourselves, it's the first Sunday of the Holy 40 Days um, of Lent. So the first, the first week was a week of preparation. Um, and then this is the end of the first week of Lent per se. The church is trying to tell us how to prepare ourselves to deal with trials and temptations and troubles. And like we were mentioning in the introduction to the readings, that um, in the Wisdom of Sirach, chapter 2, verse 1, tells us, My son, if you prepare yourself to serve the Lord, or if you prepare yourself to follow the Lord, prepare yourself for temptation or trials. For sure, and I can tell you this happens to me all the time. I confess honestly before you that I have my ups and downs. I have times where I'm very fervent and I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm really strong with God and other times where things get a little cold. And when things get a little cold and I say, no, 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 this is, I can't continue like this. I have to pull up my bootstraps and I have to pray and I have to and so on and I renew my zeal and so on. Everything in the universe that can go wrong goes wrong. It's like I like wake the dragon, you know, like Murphy's law, right? You know, I wake Murphy. Murphy was asleep, you know. Murphy has another name. His name is the devil, right? <laughs> and as long as I'm asleep in my spiritual life, then he is also gladly takes a snooze, right? When I start to renew my zeal and to try to pray and to try to fast for, for a short while, for a short while, it seems like everything that can go wrong, goes wrong. And the, the church is telling us, scripture is telling us everything in that, you know, all of the, the wisdom of all those who followed God since the beginning of time are telling us, if you're planning to follow God, prepare yourself for temptation. And so the church is preparing us now for temptation. What is one of the things you have to do if you're going to go into a fight? You need to know your enemy. In Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 it says, My people perish for the lack of knowledge. So I, I just prepared a few slides here um, just because I don't usually use slides for the Sunday sermon, um, but there's, a, there's something that I just thought a visual aid would be helpful for. So Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, my, says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. There is knowledge and it's out there and it's available and it's free. And it's free, not only like free from God, but it's also free for everyone and anyone who wants to know. So who is our enemy? Our enemy is the adversary, the devil, and he is the one who is preparing for us temptations. Where do temptations come from? Jesus explains and St. James reiterates in James chapter 1 that God does not tempt anyone. And when we get tempted, we should never say God has tempted me from this because God himself is not tempted and God himself tempts no one. But our temptations come from our desires. And when I get enticed by my desires, right, then what happens? I follow my desires. My desires bring forth sin and sin brings forth death. St. James explains to us. So, for example, I'm more given to salty foods than, than sweet ones. Maybe you have a sweet tooth. Maybe we're different in that way. It'll be hard to tempt me with chocolate cake, but put a bag of chips in front of me and it is going to be an endangered species, right? That's just the way it goes. We're all different, right? So knowing your enemy and the second thing is knowing 
yourself, right? Know yourself, know what tempts you, know what causes you to sin. 99.9% .9 of the sins that I do currently are sins that I have done before. So what is it that caused me to fall in sin before? What circumstances, what people, what uh, time of day, what mood was I in? Uh, most addictions have five very common triggers, okay? And I'm not only talking here about like heroin and crack cocaine, I'm talking about all of our addictions, my addictions, okay? I'm talking about overeating, oversleeping, being nasty to people that you shouldn't be nasty to, and all of those things that somehow help us to help us to reachieve our balance, but in a destructive way, not in a constructive way. Five very common triggers. Let's see, I always forget one of them. Let's see if I can remember them. Hunger, boredom, loneliness, anger. Somebody help me out. Tiredness. Hunger, loneliness, boredom, anger, tiredness. Basically, when I come home from a really long day, you know, when I come home from a really long day, usually everybody's asleep, I'm alone, I'm tired, I'm hungry, sometimes I'm angry, lonely, and so on, right? So, whatever, this is just one example, okay? One, one, one example of knowing what are the triggers that cause me to fall into sin. Know yourself, number one. No, number two, know your enemy. Number three, know God. I want to focus today a little bit, although I never like to, 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 to focus on our enemy, but I find that I always talk about God and I always talk about how we can, how we can help ourselves and I never really talk about the enemy. So this time for once and once only, I just want to talk a little bit about the enemy. How did the enemy tempt Jesus? Well, it's very simple. He puts three statements forward to Jesus. They're here on the screen. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. He tempts him with food, right? What's the second thing he tells him? He takes him up onto the pinnacle of the temple. You know, some churches, for example, now have like a, a really, like a, really, a big dome or a really high steeple, you know, the highest point, right? So Satan takes him up onto that highest point, right? And the temple is full of people and it's the highest point in the whole city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem is not, was not huge. You know, these old cities, they were very compact, you know? So there are tons of people everywhere. And he says, throw yourself down and God will send angels to bear you up in their hands. He's saying, put on a magic show for us, right? He's saying, gain everybody's honor, gain everybody's credibility, look good in front of people, put on a good show, right? And Jesus answers him about that as well. And we're going to talk about Jesus' answers. And the third thing the devil tempts him with he takes him up on an exceedingly high mountain and he shows him now not just Jerusalem, he shows him the whole world. And he says, I will give you all of this if you will fall down and worship me. And again, Jesus answers him. Um, and so we see here, this is not just how Jesus was tempted. This is Satan's MO. This is his modus operandi. This is, this is what he does. I hate to break it to you. God is the author of creativity, but the devil... He only has these three tricks. He has these three tricks and he, you know, he just, he like dresses them up in a different way each time and he just dresses them up differently. So they seem different and they seem new because we're attracted by novelty, of course. But honestly, they're these same three tricks. Don't believe me? 
Look at the first ever temptation in the garden, right? The first ever temptation in the garden when the serpent comes slithering down the tree and goes and talks to Eve. And he tells her, eat from this tree. She says, I can't eat from this tree. God said, we'll die. She says, you'll die? That doesn't make any sense. You won't die, right? And they have this conversation. And when, there, when there's a pause in the conversation, Eve looks at the tree. And what does she notice about the tree? She notices that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. Sound familiar? Not familiar enough? Okay, let's look elsewhere. Go to 2 Timothy. Now let's look at the end of the age. St. Paul is writing to St. Timothy and telling him at the end of the age, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters and proud and so on. Looking familiar? Not familiar enough? Okay, let's now spell it out plain as day. The Catholic epistles usually are very, very simple. They're for beginner Christians, they're for expert Christians, they're just as simple as it gets, okay? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of this life. These three things, these three categories keep coming up again and again and again. I'm telling you, he's got three tricks. He's better than me. I'm a one-trick monkey. He's a three-trick monkey, you know, right? But he's a three-trick monkey. He's only got these three tricks. That's all he's got in his, in, in, in his show, right? And they're just these three things. You want to... So this is why I wanted to make, you know, to have a, sl a slide so we can line them up. He says to Jesus, turn stones to bread, right? Eve says it's good for food. St. Timothy says they'll be lovers of money, right? Wanting, desiring stuff, right? St. John says it's lust of the flesh. Last week when uh, George Basilius was with us, he told us that this is what's called hedonism, right? This is living for pleasure. Give me the stuff that gives me pleasure. The second thing, the second category of temptations are throw yourself down in front of all these people and you'll gain all their pride and they'll all clap for you and they'll all say you're so good and they'll all say you're so smart and they'll all say you're so wise, right? Pleasant to the eyes, right? Showing off, boasting, gaining, gaining the approval or acc acclamation of people. Why do we do that? Because we love ourselves right this is the lust of the eyes looking good right and that's called humanism worship pleasure humanism worship me right worship me right and the third one i don't know why it's not going up here right is when the devil says to him i'll give you the whole world right which is materialism right and you know, you find parallels in Genesis and in 2 Timothy and in 1 John as well. I was thinking about this and I was contemplating these things and I was driving down Bloor Street and I was thinking to myself, every, every, everything on this street, right, is either a restaurant, lust of the flesh, right, is either like, you know, a fashion store, lust of the, lust of the eyes, right, 
right? Or is either like, you know, like a gym or a health food store or whatever, like, right? The pride of life. It all comes down to this hedonism, humanism, or materialism, right? And the, all three of them, and that's all, these are the only tricks that the devil has. So don't feel like you're, oftentimes I feel like, man, he's been at it for like 10,000 years, right? Fooling people, and I'm a gullible old me, like, how, how do I stand the chance against the devil, right? He's only got these three tricks. This is all he has, right? Either making men lovers of themselves, right? Or making us lovers of stuff or lovers of pleasure. That's it. It's what every temptation is going to come down to one of these things. And why was Jesus tempted? Why? Why was it that after Jesus was baptized, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Why? Because it was the beginning of his ministry. It was the beginning of the journey. We're in the beginning of Lent. Every time I make a new beginning with God, what happens? Temptation comes my way. Is that because I've poked, I've poked the bear? You know, like, like I was saying before, I was sleeping in my spiritual life, and when I woke up, I poked the bear. Is that why? Maybe. But maybe there's another reason. I doubt that the bear was sleeping, right? I doubt that the enemy was, was sleeping. I suspect that the enemy is more like it says in 1 Peter, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I don't think he was sleeping. I think that God allows temptation in our lives to make us stronger. But for temptation to make us stronger, we're going to need to know what to do about each one of these different things. And Jesus was tempted so he could give us the perfect model of what to do when I'm feeling materialistic, when I'm feeling like I want some pleasure, when I'm feeling like I want the world to worship me, right? So what does Jesus, what does, what does Jesus do? Jesus uses scripture to answer Satan, right? So... The first thing, the one more thing, sorry, about our enemy, one more thing about our enemy is Jesus describes our enemy, Jesus describes our enemy as the father of lies in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, St. John said, um, St. John is writing that Jesus has said to the Pharisees when they were lying about him. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. This is, this is the most important thing to know when you feel scared by the devil. When you feel scared, I want to tell you 99.9% .9 of the time, that's not coming from God. It's probably coming from the devil. Okay, and when you feel scared, know this one thing, that the person who's scaring you is a liar. What does that mean? Well, if you're a liar, you say lies. What's a lie? Well, it's kind of the opposite of the truth. What does that mean? It means that it doesn't have any substance to it. It's smoke and mirrors. It's an illusion, right? What, what, what does an illusion mean? It means it's something that you see, but you could like, if you put your hand through it, it wouldn't be there, right? because there's no substance to it. So sometimes I'm really worried about um, uh, my two-year-old daughter. So she fell um, and I'm worried that she hurt herself and it's gonna, her life is gonna be altered negatively for the rest of her life, you know, uh, blah, 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 whatever, right? 
It always starts with the truth, she fell. Indeed, she fell. Like, you can't, you can't argue with that. But then the rest of it is all lies. And time will tell. And time always shows that these are lies. So the first thing to know, Jesus tells us, right? Jesus tells us that the devil is the father of lies. So whenever you're scared, know that the, the thing that is scaring you, the foundation of the thing that is scaring you is non-existent. It's a house built on sand, right? Which Jesus says will fall, right? How did Jesus respond? Very simply with the truth. What's going to dispel a lie? The truth, right? What's, what's the truth as we know it? The truth as we accept it to be as Christians is scripture, right? So he takes scripture and he answers the devil. The devil tells him lust of the flesh. He tells him, turn these stones into bread. He tells him, I know you're hungry. Make yourself some bread. What does Jesus tells him? He tells him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from the mouth of God. Where is that found? That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He says, uh, Moses is telling the people of Israel, so he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. What is Moses saying here? Because this, this is what's going to help us respond to all the temptations that fit in the category of hedonism, of pleasure, of lust of the flesh, right? What is Moses saying? Moses is telling them, when you all were wandering through the, through the desert, God let you get hungry to humble you, to humble you, so that you would be humble and that in your humility, then God would respond to your need, not by, you know, making you pass by the world's best bakery in the middle of the desert, no, but by bringing you manna from heaven. I'm telling you the truth. I'm learning. I'm learning and I'm repenting. Five years into my priesthood. That God wants to respond to the needs of his people. Not with my wisdom or my smarts. Or my resources or my money or my this or my that. God wants to re respond to the resources of his people. With his smarts. With his resources. With his money and so on. God wants to take care of you and he wants to do miraculous things for you. So when you find yourself tempted, when I find myself tempted by pleasure, when I find myself hungry in the larger sense of the word, I find myself in need in the larger sense of the word and I'm tempted to satisfy my pleasures with whatever, you know, self-destructive addiction of choice, right? Know that this is by the permission of God. Why? Because when I'm hungry, I'm humble. Fasting humbles us, right? But fasting is being hungry by choice. Somehow I ended up hungry, again in the larger sense of the word, right? For a certain pleasure. Somehow I ended up that way against my will. And now I'm ready to reach out my hand, even if it's a self-destructive thing, and do it, right? To serve, to fulfill my pleasures. Know that God allowed me to be hungry. God allowed me to be humbled. God didn't cause it. He allowed it. Why? So he could respond himself. So he could bring manna down from heaven. So he could respond himself. Why? 
so that I could know that it's not bread which is going to satisfy me, but every word which proceeds from the mouth of the living God. Make sense? Okay, so the response to the first, you know, common temptation is lust of the flesh, pleasures, hedonism, and so on. And the solution is acknowledge the hunger, acknowledge that it's there, acknowledge that it's real, but turn to God himself to satisfy it, not to my resources, not to how I'm able to do it. Jesus had all the power in the world and could easily turn stones into bread and satisfy his hunger. And he's fasted his 40 days, he's done his duty, he did what he had to do, he checked the box, now he can make himself some bread and chow down. No, no, because that wasn't the purpose of it, right? That wasn't the purpose of it. The second thing, the second thing the devil tempts him with, he takes him up on the pinnacle of the mountain and he says, do a magic show and everybody will think you're great and everybody will think you're awesome and you'll become like everybody's most loved and you'll have the most likes on Facebook and the most retweets and the most, and the most, right? And you'll be the best and you'll be famous, right? And you'll be famous, humanism. Worship me, right? What does Jesus answer? He answers him and he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, or you shall not try the Lord your God. Or when I went and looked up that word in its original language, that word has been translated 20 times as prove, 12 times as tempt, assay, um, and so on, right? So an assay is like a laboratory test, you know? So we're going to take God now. He's saying, he's saying, this word, thou shalt tempt the Lord your God. What does it mean to tempt the Lord your God? The word tempt means to test. That means to take God, okay, let's put him under the microscope and let's see. Okay, let's see what he can do. Let's see if he can do this. Let's see if he can do that. Let's see if that doesn't work. Try doing that. Those of you who are married in the audience, try doing that to your spouses. Those of you who are not married, try doing that to your best friend. See how that goes. You'll be sleeping on the couch if you're lucky. Maybe the front porch. You can come over to my place, right? You can't, you can't test somebody else's love. If you're testing that love, that means that you don't believe in them. And believing in them is the first step to loving them. So they love you, but you don't really love them. You can't test love. You can only accept love. So Jesus is telling us, accept. A accept what God brings your way. If you aren't famous, if nobody knows who you are, Sometimes all of us feel like nobody loves me. Who here has never said, hands up, who here has never said the words, nobody loves me, right? I say it about 18 times a week, right? Nobody loves me. And my sister and my, my wife just looks at me and looks at me like this, you know, and says, oh, poor you, nobody loves you, right? Nobody loves me. When I feel like nobody loves me, accept it. Accept it. Because the Lord your God loves you and believe in him. If nobody on the face of the earth loves me, guess what? The Lord loves me. If I'm the opposite of famous, if I'm the most insignificant creature on the face of the earth, guess what? God loves me. And I don't need to test his love because I know his love to be true and I accept his love. The third thing the devil says to the third thing the devil says to Jesus, he tells him, look, one, in 30 seconds, you can save the world. 30 seconds. 
No cross, no suffering, no nails, no crown of thorns. Of course, the devil didn't know all that. The devil doesn't know the future, right? But he's very observant and he's very good at, at guessing and projecting, right? But suppose he did, right? And he puts to Jesus and he says to him, the devil also didn't know that Jesus was the Christ. But that's a whole other story, right? Suppose he says to Jesus, worship before me and the whole thing will be over. I'll give you the whole world. It'll be yours, right? What does Jesus answer him? He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Where's that found? That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as well, verse 13. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. What does that mean, shall take oaths in his name? It means this. It means that, suppose we're, we're joking around, you know, uh, Dave and I are joking around, and then I go, okay, seriously now, but we, we really got to go, we're going to be late, right? Or I say, honestly, honestly now, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, Does that mean that everything I said before was dishonest? No, it doesn't, right? Does that mean that everything I said before wasn't serious? No, it doesn't. It means that I'm making a call to seriousness. I'm saying I'm highlighting the next sentence. I'm putting it in italics or making it bold or, or putting it in a separate paragraph or something because the next sentence is important. Jesus a million times says, verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say unto you. What's he saying? He's saying, folks, listen up. What does the deacon say? The second most common word the deacon says. He says, let us attend. Right in previous sermons, I've said I wish I could give the deacons, you know, those uh, the, the, those those orange lighted like uh, I don't know what they are, those wands that the the people in the airport on the tarmac land airplanes with, right? You know, right? I wish the deacon instead of saying "let us attend" could stand and go like this, you know, folks over here, right? Pay attention over here. The action is happening over here. Your salvation is happening over here. That's what he's saying when he says "let us." attend when we when we take an oath when we take an oath right that's what we're doing we're saying we're adding emphasis we're saying this is important listen to this right that's what it means to take an oath and whatever you promise by the bigger that thing the more serious you are right so if i if i it's almost like putting a wager right so if i wager a quarter Right, then that the truth of that is worth 25 cents to me. If I were, wager a hundred bucks, the truth of that statement is worth a hundred bucks to me. If I wager a million dollars, then that statement is worth a million dollars to me. If I wager the name of God, what does that mean? Right? What does that mean? That means that the word I'm saying is worth is worth the worth of God to me. And so Jesus is telling Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. By Him only you shall take your oaths. He shall be your everything. He's telling Satan, there's no such thing as worship you, or worship me, or worship anything. Doesn't make, what are you talking about? This nonsense. This nonsense. These possessions. This stuff. The more stuff we procure, right? We talked about this in the money series. The more stuff we procure, the more worries we have. The less stuff we have, the more peace we have. It's like, a, it's like a, a direct relationship, you know, inversely proportional. More stuff, more worries, less peace, right? I don't want more stuff. I don't want this world. I want to worship my God and Him alone. So we find recapping. The devil is a three 
trick monkey, okay? He has only got three tricks. There's only three, and they're very simple. Either I'm going to worship my pleasures, or I'm going to worship myself, or I'm going to worship stuff, right? Either materialism, or hedonism, or humanism, right? And the solutions are very simple. For hedonism, I'm going to look to God for my fulfillment, right? And specifically, the Word of God, right? For materialism, I'm going to look to God to, my, to be my worship, to be the one whom I worship, right? And for humanism, I'm going to, I'm going to tell God, God, you, you are my all in all. I believe in you. I believe that you love me. And that is enough for me. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.